Good morning, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to see smiling faces. Brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. I received that. We're about to preach out of the book of Revelation. I'm going to cover chapters 4 and 5 this morning. Before I do that, as we reboot here at Grand Peak Academy, New Life East, one of the things that we're working on is just building our community out, building spaces for people to connect. And so later this month, we're going to launch a fresh round of New Life East groups. And so if you have any experience leading groups, we would love uh, to have you begin a conversation with us about what that might look like here. Uh, we're not talking about specialty groups, so it's not just men's or just women's or just college students, but just groups. Places where all kinds and sorts of people in our community can connect. So if you're interested in that, you have some experience and you'd like to step up and share that work with us, talk to me after the service or see us at Connect Central. Before we begin preaching this morning like we've been doing, uh, we've been anchoring ourselves in the faith of the church. And so I want to invite you to stand up on your feet one more time this morning if you're able to. And uh, let's prepare to take these words on our lips. These are the words of the ancient Nicene Creed, 1700 years old. It unpacks the central characters of scripture for us and the central plot of scripture. It tells us what God is up to in the world. Let's say this with faith this morning. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. And he has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now we stand at the ready waiting for you, O God. More than the watchman waits for the morning, said the psalmist. More than the watchman waits for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This morning we wait for you. We wait for you. We thank you that it is true that there is never a time that we are not in your presence. We are always in your presence. So we pray that there would be an unveiling this morning, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that you would pull back the veil of reality, that you would help us see what is always true about our lives, and then help us anchor ourselves once again in that truth. We pray that all the storms would be stilled. We pray that all the chaos in our minds would be stilled. 
We pray that our bodies would be anchored in the living body of Christ, that the blood of Christ would rush through our veins, that the Spirit would fill our lungs, that we'd be anchored again in you. Granted, we're asking. We say, over these next few moments, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. John writes, After these things I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice that I had first heard, so he's taking us back to chapter 1, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with somebody sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white, and yet they had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God, or the sevenfold spirit of God. I think this is a way of talking about the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits of God, and also... In front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, as clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne, there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings, and it was covered with eyes all around, even under their wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, why don't you say it with me this morning, brothers and sisters, say it with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Everybody loves the expose piece, you know, that news article or piece on the internet, little investigative journalism that gets down to what's really going on, you know. Like everybody else kind of knows the surface story, but... We have like the backstory. We know what's really happening. We love the expose piece. And John has gone from the revelation of Christ in chapter 1 down into the chaos of the churches of Asia Minor. They're faithful in so many ways. They're trying so hard and doing such a good job in so many ways. And they're also just falling to pieces in so many ways. And they're faltering even as they're trying to be faithful to the Lord. And it's easy to get lost in kind of that stuff, the surface of reality. And here, that voice that had been speaking to John in chapter 1, all of a sudden calls him up one more time and says in verse 1, he says, come up here and I will show you what must soon take place after this. So John kind of climbs up from sort of the surface of reality here into this door standing open in heaven. And he looks now into the sort of the backside, we might say, of Reality. John is about to be shown what is really going on. He's going to peer into the deepest truth of our reality. 
the realest real of our reality. And when he does that, when he begins to look into the deepest truth of our reality, the truest truth, the realest real of our reality, what he doesn't see is the chaos of the churches of Asia Minor, does he? And he doesn't see the oppression of the Roman Empire. And he doesn't see large human palaces. And he doesn't see people starving to death. And he doesn't see the chaos of life under the sun. What he sees is something like a palace and a temple put together. He says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and somebody was sitting on it, and the one who sat there. So we're in like a throne room here. And he says that the one who sat on it had the appearance of jasper and ruby. Those are red colors, right? We're wrapped here in royalty. And, and a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne, he says, were 24 other thrones. So there's power and authority. And seated on them were 24 elders. And, but these elders are dressed in white, right? The garments of priests that priests might wear. And yet they have crowns of gold. So you get these two things are coming together. That it's both a palace, a place of rule, a place of reign, a place of government. And it's also, it's also a temple. It's a place of worship. It's a place of adoration. It's a place of reverence. It's a place of hallowing. He says that from the throne there came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In other words, the sure judgments of God are going out from the throne. And then he says that I, I saw seven lamps, like the lamps in the temple, and they were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass as clear as crystal. And then he looks... And he says that he sees four living creatures and they're covered with eyes front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion and the second like an ox and the third had a face like a man and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. In other words, they're all seeing even under their wings and day and night. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And John goes on to say that at the sound of the song, of the four living creatures, these priest kings, the 24 elders surrounding the throne, what do they do? They're unmade by the worship. And so they take their crowns and they cast them before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. If you ask John, what is the center of reality? If you ask John, what is the truest truth of reality? If you ask John, what is the hard core of reality? What John says is it's worship. That there's one seated on the throne and the most powerful beings in the cosmos quail at his presence. They're unmade by him. The fascinating detail, though, of the text, the detail that grabbed me by the soul this week, was that John says that in front of the throne, verse 6, there was what looked like a sea of glass. Clear as crystal. You know what the sea represents in the scriptures, don't you? Chaos. Disorder. Unmaking. Terror. Fear. All of the things that we fear most. The great fear that lurks in our world, the great fear that all of us in some ways lurks in our hearts, the darkness that we know is there. We all fear the darkness. We fear the watery depths in the biblical imagination. The water was this symbol of primeval chaos. Behemoth, Leviathan lived 
in the waters. And if the waters were not tamed by the presence of God, then the waters and what was in the waters was going to unmake you. It would, it would devour your life. And what John sees when he looks at God is he sees the primeval chaos, what? Stilled. It's a sea of glass. It's as clear as crystal. Brothers and sisters, what's the hardcore of reality? It's a place where all of the chaos is stilled. What's going on in the presence of God? Everything that's terrifying in our world has been laid waste. It's been stilled. What's going on at the deep center of all things? There is peace. There is peace. All the things that we fear most, all the things that haunt us in the night, all the things that keep us up, all the things that make us break into a cold sweat, all of those things have been stilled at the presence of God. And when John walks up into heaven and he looks through that door that's standing open in heaven, what he knows, what he sees is that in the presence of God, everything's okay. Can I get an amen this morning? Man, I'm telling you, this is the power of coming into worship. If something happens when we come into worship, the veil of reality is pulled back. It's torn. And we see what is really true, what is most deeply true about our lives. Haven't you been there? Haven't you experienced that? That your life feels all topsy-turvy and it's just out of control and you step into the presence of God and somehow there's that peace that passes understanding. It just steals into your awareness. I remember years ago, 21 years ago now, on my 18th birthday, Mandy, uh, Mandy and I have been dating for about a year. She was getting ready to take me out on a little birthday date. And my mom and my sister burst through the door of the garage into the kitchen where I was sitting waiting to leave. And my sister had been sick for several weeks and they couldn't put their finger on it. You know, is it flu? Is it mono? You know, what is it? Just energy low, not feeling herself. They took her to the doctor. They did a bunch of blood work and the test results came back. It was leukemia. Nine years old at the time. Cancer had never touched our family. We'd never experienced anything like that before. And her blood counts, the bad white blood cell counts in her system were so elevated that the doctor didn't even want to let her come home. They wanted to start treatment right then and there. She, they said that you got about two weeks to live. Like we need to get on top of this. And my mom pleaded with the doctor. I'll never forget that. She pleaded with the doctor and said, can we just take her home and rally our crew together and pray over her before we begin this journey, this long process. And the doctor gave my mom and my sister leave to come home and to rally the community together. And they did called a few of the elders of the church, like James says, and we anointed her with oil in the presence of God, and we trusted that the prayer offered in faith would make her well. We prayed over her, and we pled for her life. Our community rallied around us. That was a Monday night, and the treatment began that night, all through the night, and into the next day, and into Wednesday, and that Wednesday night, my parents were consumed with taking care of Anna, my little sister, and so I took my little brothers. I have two little brothers. I took my little brothers to church with me that night, and I remember sitting on the front rows, Wednesday night worship service. And our world had so gone into what felt like an existential uh, tailspin. The C word, cancer, that had never touched us before. I'd never really known anybody who passed away who was very close to me outside of my grandfather. It was just so terrifying. It was the watery depths <laughs> rising up and trying to consume our family. And I remember sitting on the front row of church that night, it was just something about it. It was something about being in the presence of God together. It was something about singing the songs together that it had this profound stabilizing effect. And we're sitting there on the front row and I remember Pastor Jerry looking down at us 
and saying, hey, we've got the Arndt family here. Andrew with his brothers, John and Robert, can we extend hands in prayer and pray for this family? Anna's been diagnosed with leukemia. We need to rally around them. And the whole church rallied their faith. I'm telling you, I felt it. Buoyed up by the, the strength of the church. And we sang and we worshiped and we humbled ourselves before the scriptures. And there was just something about it. A sense of well-being stole into me. And I'm telling you that it wasn't a sense that, well, you know, I know that she's going to pull through it and she's going to be fine. And I believed that in my bones. I believed that God was able and we believed that he would raise her up. But the sense of well-being was deeper than that. It wasn't just that God is going to raise her up and everything's going to go back to normal. It was that no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. In life and in death, brothers and sisters, we belong to the Lord. That's why Paul says that I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nowhere that you can go from the stabilizing presence of God. And the task of the saints isn't to, isn't to demand that we have reality on our terms. But the task of the saints is to lose themselves in the worship of the one who stills all the storms, who stills the seas, who is before and behind and beyond all things. He's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the center and the circumference of our existence. And in his presence, the watery depths have become a sea of glass. I don't know what you're experiencing this morning. I don't know what news you got this morning. I don't know what diagnosis you're sitting with. I don't know what chaos you're experiencing. I don't know what financial devastation you're facing. I don't know what Monday holds or Tuesday holds or Wednesday holds for me, for you. I don't know. I don't know what it is that you're carrying in your soul. But I do know this. The truest truth of reality is that this, the watery depths have become a sea of glass. And that means that the truest truth of your life is that everything is fine. I'm not saying that it's fine on the surface of reality. I'm saying it's fine at the depth. And when you anchor yourself in the depth of reality, you find that you can weather the storms of the surface. Brothers and sisters, where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. What can I be anxious about? Like, no, no, no. Do not be anxious about yeah, but what about this whole huge thing I'm facing at work? Do not be anxious about, yeah, but what about this anxiety that keeps coming back up in me? And I thought I had it handled years ago. Can I be anxious about that? I'm actually feeling anxious. Do not be anxious about, but my kids have run away from home and I'm at the level of surface reality, okay? The peace of God that transcends all understanding will what? God, your heart your mind in Christ Jesus. That's why we come. That's why we come for worship. Because we're anchoring ourselves again in what is true. When we come into worship, what we're doing is we're opening the door in heaven one more time and we're peering through it and we're going, 
oh, okay, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We're going to be okay. Can I get an amen? In worship, we're experiencing the reign of the Lord God Almighty. Not just now, but the reign of God ahead of time. But the question is, the question is, what does the reign of God look like? What does the rule of God look like? The churches that John wrote to in Asia Minor, seven cities in the Roman Empire, they knew about Roman rule. Rome had this saying that it was propagating during the first century, the Pax Romana, the Pax Romana. Pax Romana means the peace of Rome. And what Rome claimed was that wherever Rome ruled, there was unprecedented peace and prosperity. And everything was good and everything's okay and everybody's prosperous and everybody's happy. And of course, Everybody in the Roman Empire knew that everybody in the Roman Empire was not happy. It was a bit of propaganda. And the way that in the Roman Empire you maintained the so-called Pax Romana was via one of the most outrageous and torturous methods of execution ever devised by human beings. Outside every one of these cities that John is writing to, there were crosses where you hung the insurrectionists where you hung the rebels, where you hung the slaves. The way that Rome maintained its order was by spilling other people's blood. Tom Holland, a secular historian, puts it like this. You can skip to the next slide. He said that exposed to public view like slabs of meat hung from a market stall, troublesome citizens were nailed to crosses. No death could be more excruciating or more contemptible than crucifixion. For to be hung naked, long in agony, Swelling with ugly wheels on shoulders and chest, helpless to beat away the clamorous birds, such a fate Roman intellectuals agreed was the worst imaginable. This was what rendered it so suitable a punishment. Lacking such a sanction, the entire order of the city might fall apart. How did Rome maintain its rule? How did Rome maintain its order? How did Rome maintain its peace? Spilled other people's blood. And in the midst of that, John says that the reign of God is very different. Look down at chapter 5 of Revelation. John says, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals or open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look inside And then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So he sees the throne, the reign of God. And in the right hand of the one who's sitting on the throne, there's a scroll. The scroll represents the meaning of history, where it's all going. But it's sealed with seven seals. And one of the elders said, who's worthy to take the seal, to take the scroll and to open its seals? And John sees that the lion of the tribe of Judah has come. He sees Jesus standing in the middle of the throne. But now look down, back to the text one more time. The lion of the tribe of Judah is there, but when he looks, what he actually sees, verse 6, is a lamb. (laughs) Looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. 
And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they what? They fell down in the same way that they'd fallen before the one who was seated on the throne. Now they're falling down before the lamb. And each one of them had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a brand new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were what? Slain. And with your blood, you purchased people for God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. John hears that the reign of God is now at hand. And he hears that the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered that he's the one who's worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll. But when he looks, what does he see? He sees a lamb. He sees one who had given his life. He sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And it's the lamb looking as if it had been slain. The lamb who had laid his life down, that lamb is the one who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll. And those that sing the new song to the lamb say that you're worthy to break the seal and open the scrolls, not in spite of the fact that you were slain, but what? Because of the fact that you were slain. Rome maintained its order by bludgeoning people. God maintains his order by absorbing the bludgeoning of the world. Rome maintained its order by crucifying. God brings about his order in the world by being crucified. Our God, brothers and sisters, is not Zeus. He's not a supreme being rattling around in the cosmos, knocking people upside the head if they misbehave. He doesn't win the world by brute force. But he wins the world by his love. By the gentle invitation of his love. Imagine it, brothers and sisters. A slain lamb reigns on the throne of God. You might remember it from the Gospels. Jesus, in Mark particularly, his presence is hidden. He's healing. He's driving out demons. He's restoring people to fellowship. He's doing all of the things that a Messiah would do. But the scripture says that it's not until his body is exhausted on the cross, Mark chapter 15, that the centurion, the Roman leader, he stood there in front of Jesus and when he saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Brothers and sisters, it's not until God takes on a human body and is exhausted for human sin that we see that Christ the Lord is God. And he brings us to himself, not by threatening us, but by offering his life for us. I've been following Jesus my entire life. And I can tell you that this is his way. This is always his way. I know in my bones that he is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And that at any moment, if he wanted to, he could snap his fingers and snuff out my existence for my rebellion. I know that in my bones. And yet when I'm lost in rebellion, do you know what I experience of this God? The gentle invitation of the Spirit. The gentle invitation of the Spirit. I experience him to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
the lamb who is always slain on my behalf. That every time I run, every time I put up my defenses, every time I get myself lost in rebellion, every time I'm stuck in sin, God, I have never experienced this from God. And I'm telling you this just on a lifetime of authority of walking with God. I have never experienced him threaten me. Paul says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God. He doesn't threaten us. He woos us. He romances us. He calls us back. And there are some of you this morning that you're just stuck in the worst way. You're stuck in rebellion and you're stuck in sin and you're stuck in hard-heartedness. And I'm telling you that the Lamb is calling out to you this morning. And if you'll let him, his kindness will unmake you. And righteousness will spring up from the ground of your life again. And the kingdom will begin. Just yield to him. Can we stand and prepare our hearts for communion? now we worship you, Lord Jesus. And now we worship you, Lord Jesus. We offer our hearts to you again in this moment. We offer our hearts to you again in this place. And we thank you that if you are, Lord Jesus, if you are the true revelation of who God is and how God is among us, then you never threaten and you never bully and you never push us around. But what you do is you keep racing into the center of our lives with self giving love. And so this, Jesus, this morning, Jesus, I'm asking that you would unmake us again. This morning, Jesus, I'm asking that you would stand at the door of our hearts and knock again. This morning, Jesus, I'm asking that your kindness would lead us to repentance, that you'd help us remember that it's the love of God that unmakes us and unmakes and remakes the world around us. Would you help us see that and experience that? so as we prepare our hearts for the table, we make this our prayer of confession, Lord Jesus, and we pray that you'd slice us open with this, that you'd unmake us. Say it with me, brothers and sisters, this morning. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. The scripture says that if we confess our sins, brothers and sisters, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness this morning. The blood of Christ cleanses you. The Father forgives you. You're restored and reconciled to God by the Spirit. If you can receive that this morning, let's give God praise. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to sing this song of worship together, and then I'm going to come and lead us to the table. Let's sing together. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark will stop the light from getting through? 
Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of So the scripture says that God 
showed his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, we didn't do a single good thing for him. We were rebels, we were wandering, we were far from God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's his love for us, his goodness to us, his kindness to us that leads us to repentance. Oh, and then it floods out into the world and the world is changed by the kindness of God. Here we are, encountering once again the goodness of the Lord. And so the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, he took the bread and broke it. Let's break it together. Yeah. And he said to his disciples, take this all of you and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. We receive you. And in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins, the wiping away of sins, the changing of our hearts. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. It's the cup of salvation. Let's take it together. We say, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. From grateful hearts, hear it from us. Hallowed be thy name. Holy are you, God. Worthy are you, O God. Worthy are you, God to receive praise and honor and glory from every tribe and tongue and people, every nation. Hallowed be thy name in all the earth. And now, brothers and sisters, stretch out your hands like this and receive the benediction. As you go from this place, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. You are loved. We'll see you next Sunday, saints. If, you, uh, if you're interested in helping us lead a group, you can talk to me after the service or Pastor Colin. See us at Connect Central. We'll see you next Sunday.